and he takes the mic and he does his, you know, Taylor, I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had the best video of the year. Like, it's so goofy. <laughs> like, and then he... It's so goofy. And it's also like... something I Hello, everyone. This is Alex. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated mm-hmm. playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. As you guys can probably tell, this is a very different Good, the Bad, the Basic because it's going to just be me. Um, If you guys did not listen to our through the end to the last episode, M is stepping away because she is executive producing her very own grand project that she will be releasing nine months from now. So... (laughs) So this show is going to take on a new space. This is a new format in which I will pick a topic and talk to some of my favorite cultural thinkers um, and just super smart people that I really like, and we'll talk about something. And so joining me for this episode is my very special guest, Sydney Urbanak. Sydney is an entertainment and culture writer who writes the incredible newsletter, Mononym Mythology, where she examines the work of your favorite pop divas and their lasting effects on our pop cultural landscape. Her other work can be found on Billboard, Paste Magazine, and The Guardian, among others. Sydney, welcome. Thank you very much. That was such a nice intro. (laughs) On today's episode, we'll be discussing the career of Taylor Swift and the 2020 documentary Miss Americana, directed by Lana Wilson. Miss Americana has been described as an unvarnished and emotionally revealing look at the life and career of the global pop superstar. The film takes place in the time period between the Reputation studio tour to the release of her seventh studio album, Lover. At its release, this documentary was an instant hit with critics and fans alike. So what did we think made this film special and what did, and what is it about Taylor that inspires such love and devotion from her fans around the world? Well, stay tuned. And so here's some critical details about Miss Americana. The release date was January 23rd, 2020 at Sundance, and then January 31st, 2020 uh, in the U.S. on Netflix. Miss Americana has a running time of 85 minutes. It's a documentary, and it was directed by Lana Wilson and stars Taylor Swift, obviously, as, as herself. So, Sydney, let's, let's get into... Um, Actually, no, that's a lie. Let, let's start with Miss Americana. So <laughs> one of the things that I really loved about, and part of the reason why I loved you is like, and I just love you, I think you're incredible, is that when oh, Miss wow. Americana first 
when I first watched it, I remember thinking, this is exactly life is but a dream. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then two days later, you were like, okay, but this is life is but a dream. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like the first, I mean, and it sounds, you, you don't, it doesn't make any sense unless you've seen life is but a dream. Right. And like, um, I don't know how much overlap there necessarily is between people that like would have seen life is but a dream and people that have, that would have seen Miss Americana. Um, and it's like, it's less that I think that the two, that like Taylor was like, I want to make my own Miss America, uh, my own life is but a dream rather. And more that like, there are just these weird similarities that made them, I just found like using Beyonce's doc um, really useful to like understand what Taylor's is like achieving at the time and like s- certain things like the seeds that it's planting and just in general understanding like what it was doing, I guess. And like, I can, I can talk more about that, but like for people, for people that haven't seen life is but a dream, it was like the first, you know, major doc that Beyonce released in early 2013, but it was about the like, you know, in some ways it was about the previous couple of years, but in some ways it was about her whole life. Um, and basically the whole point of the doc was to like, close the book on her 20s and the fact that she'd like recently uh, or like not too long ago at the time fired her father as her manager was managing herself um had like recently started her own business it was going well um but it was also like putting to bed a bunch of rumors so rumors and controversies and that kind of thing and so like taylor swift um almost around the same time in terms of like what age she's at makes a film that does like pretty much the same things. And then there are these like weird similarities beyond that where like both of them happen to sort happen to like uh, show up in the spotlight at pretty much the same time. Cause they were both teenagers when they got famous. So super young, um, both are like real, um, really, really close with their mom. They have like troubled relationships with their fathers, and that's like part of the film. Both of those things. Both of them have like a sibling that's kept almost entirely absent from this film. Um, that was also kind of fascinating to me, though. I think it's like probably just a coincidence. Um, but yeah, there's like weird things like that that made it was the first thing I thought of watching it was like I wonder whether Taylor has seen life is but a dream because like, it's not out of the question. I don't think. And I would venture to say that the answer is yes. And I say this only because something that I've noticed about Taylor is, and something I don't, you know, hold against her truly is that Taylor <laughs> has a, has a, a habit of doing Beyonce move, be, you doing Beyonce PR tactics from like three years ago. Like if oh, Beyonce like did it, if Beyonce did it three years ago, Taylor's going to do it in the next three. Um, which I don't hate because honestly, why not? Like if like somebody at the very, yeah, at the very least she's paying attention. I mean like the whole world is, so it's not like that makes her weird and stalker. Like it's just that, you know, they are very different artists in certain ways. Um, but in other ways they, they occupy like similar, they're both like uniquely good at certain things um, where like the music is part of it, but almost like it's almost as if everything else surrounding the music 
is they understand to be like almost more important sometimes. And they're both very good at like tapping into that, if that makes sense. So I don't know when Taylor Swift fans are like, no, just like keep this discussion to the music. I'm like, well, I don't think Taylor's doing that. <laughs> so, right. Which, yeah. which brings us to sort of, I guess my issues with her and like, I guess my issues around the analysis of her because something about Taylor that's very frustrating and that I think is in this documentary uh, and um, in the beats that this documentary is hitting is in mm-hmm. the things that ultimately frustrate about her is this lack of, and I think is something very distinct between beyond like a very distinct difference between her and Beyonce in terms of how they navigate the the extraness right beyond the mm-hmm. art is um Taylor's lack of I think accountability in her choices like own your choices Taylor you make your choices and that's fine but own up to them um And that lack of ownership is something to me that has been um, uh, an annoyance. Not an annoyance, and I don't want to use that word annoying, uh, but has been something that's always sort of like picked at me and Mm -hmm. picked at a lot of friends that I have when we when we end up talking about her. Because I I would say like I am a fan of Taylor. Like I think Taylor Swift cannot be denied um, in in her her artistry and her songwriting. I mean, she's a killer songwriter. Like there is something in particularly in being a storyteller and being able to write in such a way that taps into that um, romanticism of just like girlhood and womanhood. Like she's so good at it and she's so good at like putting the, just like I mean, beyond her like melodical construction, which her is is perfect, really. Like she knows how to write a catchy like top line melody, but like lyrically, very very astute, very wonderful. She can't yeah. be denied in that way. Yeah, but, not at all. But in her marketing apparatus and the things she does and the choices that she's making, uh, beyond the art, which she understands very much. Some of those things in in that I think I saw in the documentary that I think tries to frame it as like, oh, Taylor's being picked on again. Like, I think really graded at me. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, like I, so I I should say like, I am also a fan. Like I, since she showed up and I probably first heard about her in let's say like early 2008, probably with like our song or maybe like teardrops on my guitar. I think those came out at like roughly the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I never was like, I've never been a huge country person. So it wasn't until she started to make, um, started to do more like crossover things that I started to hear about her. And then since then, I would say I've spent like half of that time on and off being like, of, like paying a lot of attention and like listening to the music. And then the other half of the time being kind of removed from it. But like in the last few years, my interest in her has become more like professional, I guess. So like mm-hmm. I haven't missed I haven't missed a release of hers in like several years at this point. And like I really enjoy a, a ton of her music. But yeah, as a like as a critic, 
I don't think anything that you said is off base. I think what what's interesting about what this film does is it like recasts you know all of these films like make omissions it's like how they work it's like what they set out to do um some of them are more glaring than others like sometimes it's like i don't know like for example in life is but a dream matthew knowles gets fired because like beyonce wants boundaries between like her work and her life and she needs to like fix her relationship with her father there's no discussion of the fact that he'd been like fathering children outside of his marriage or that he was like potentially embezzling money and like all that kind of stuff so these films all make omissions (laughs) right and Um, i mean i think in life is but a dream because i did watch it what happens is that and i and this is the mass i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but um no it's okay it's because i thought of it because i did watch it but i rewatch it recently but I think what's great about in life is but a dream is Beyonce does that masterful thing that Beyonce does which is so masterful in that the when all you hear is a news reporter when she talks about I had to let go of my father I had to establish boundaries Mm -hmm. then she's she's just quiet, right? And the camera is just focused on her. And then there's a an audio that plays underneath it of Matthew Knowles, his, you know, the, of the reporter saying, Matthew Knowles, his father to child out of Beyonce and has been found out embezzling money. And um, Beyonce looks stoic, but, you know, she could be thinking about anything in that moment, right? She could probably just be, you know, thinking about when she's going to get her nails done and, and put drop blue ivy off at daycare but <laughs> while um in that shot you know but it's definitely the, been like edited like it's been um like she it's definitely like video taken from one moment and audio taken from like another one like she's no there's no way she's like listening to it in li- right moment. there's no way she's listening to it but she but puts actually, it under there and you're I able don't know to know if if that audio gets included at all like i think um it's like she's cut off part of the radio interview in question because <laughs> um, it's easier to do that than to like address it in any way, shape or form. Um, but right. And I was saying she she does it so you can and she has this shot, you know, it, getting it cut off and this shot of her looking pensive so that you, the audience member, can project onto her whatever you think she's feeling in that moment. Totally. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, like brilliant. <laughs> it's, ex- yeah, it's extremely brilliant. And like, it's another interesting, like, similarity between these films is the fact that they've both like filmed themselves on like their computers and on their phones. And like, that's a huge part of the doc is like, you know, like, uh, footage that they've su- taken and supplied themselves. And like, Taylor isn't credited as the film's director, but I think it's like a mistake to read this as her being like along for the ride. Um, in light of, stuff like that like the fact that she is filming herself but also in light of the fact that like she was the one that approached netflix wanting to make a doc um which is interesting right i mean but so something interesting so again like all of these all of these films make omissions of different kinds something interesting that taylor's does is like recast the last like any kind of conflict she's experienced in the last decade or so as like sexism like blanket yeah that's like what that's like everything that ever 
that's what all the flack was coming from. And like, you know, sexism does explain like a ton of what, what, um, her like challenges, so to speak, have been about, like as a public figure, like there was definitely a ton of slut shaming. There was definitely a ton of just like, um, unnecessary, like cattiness, um, that kind of thing. But like, there are moments, I mean, when I'm thinking about like Taylor controversies over the last decade, I think of stuff like, like the Nicki Minaj spat where there were real there were like actually thoughtful conversations around the fact that like she wasn't thinking as much about things like race as she was things like gender and like that is totally left out of the dock like any any uh conflict that can't be explained away by like sexism doesn't get mentioned at all i mean which brings me which great thank you for bringing that up which brings me to my my thing that's always graded me about Taylor, which she once again is brought up in the doc because the doc is really like all of when it's not like this footage that's, you know, intercut with her about her, her beginnings, then the doc sort of transitions into all the people that have bullied me. Right. There's like a Taylor's bullies section. And so, Mm -hmm. which brings us to, like I said, my, my chief issue with her, that's always itched at me. Um, the infamous <laughs> 20, um, what was that? 20, 2013? Which, which part? Oh, the VMAs, the VMA incident. That was like 2009. Oh, nine. I know that sounds crazy, but it was 2009. Yeah. Okay. Now I don't, I'm not going to sit here and I just want to say the the Kanye of 2009 is a, is not the Kanye of 2021 listeners. So don't no, not, like, not even remotely. Yeah. <laughs> don't tweet me. <laughs> like, don't at me. Don't <laughs> get on our Instagram. But like the, I remember this this incident, so the VMA incident, let's talk about it a little bit. So this is always the incident that's really bugged me with Taylor. Always really chiefly, chiefly itched and and grinded at me. And it's also where I find that generally when you read cultural criticisms of Taylor, like most of them are done by white women. and, Mm -hmm. And this is where the analysis always lacks. And it's always lacking when I read an analysis about like critical analysis about Taylor. So the VMA incident happens, right? By the way, it's still funny to me. (laughs) I know that the part that makes it like really silly in hindsight. I mean, there was a lot about it. That's silly to be clear. And like, one of them is like Kanye is like drunk, um, extremely drunk in that moment. But like another one is that the VMAs are a fan, but almost overwhelmingly, um, a fan voted awards show. So like nobody, the only people that like have awarded Taylor Swift with best female video are like fans. It's not like the, you know, the MTV institution like fucked up or anything. It's like, it's a fan voted award. And like later in the same night, Beyonce won a fan voted award for video of the year for single ladies. So like if he'd waited, like if he had waited it, the other thing that's like, so wild about this story is that um and I was like writing about it like somewhat recently so I was looking at the like minute by minute timeline of the whole thing Mm -hmm. is um if the VMA started at eight that happened at like 8 13 um because the preceding you know 12 minutes had been um like a Michael Jackson tribute because he had just died Mm -hmm. 
and that was it. I think it was the first ward of Theonite, and uh, and it was like did that happen? They got their like viral moment, so to speak, and like nobody remembers anything that happened after that. <laughs> right, <the> which <laughs> is which is always really funny. You're totally right, and it's I'm just rewatching it even now is not in, in, within the context within the context of the doc- documentary but also just on its own the whole thing is very funny like he like you said he's very drunk and yeah. he's clearly drunk he's your quintessential drunk idiot like drunk frat bro right <laughs> um on stage doing a weird thing and he takes the mic and he does his you know tell I'm gonna let you finish but Beyonce had the best video of the like it's so goofy <laughs> like and then he's so goofy and it's also like um i read this there's this really great billboard uh oral history of that evening and like what the doc doesn't really get into and like i get why i suppose from like the perspective of like telling the story the most efficient way possible but like what he'd done is embarrass them both. Like, he did that, you know, supposedly, ostensibly, like, on Beyonce's, um, in her name, like, as a way to, like, defend her, I suppose, question mark. But what he'd actually done is left both of them crying backstage. Um, so, like, that's not part of Miss Americana, even though, like, Taylor was there when that happened and like you know also later in that same evening like Beyonce when she won video of the year like the MTV producers had Beyonce like give her speech up so that Taylor could come out and like finish her own um so like that's a a part of the night that gets talked about less is the fact that like at the end of the day all Kanye had really done is like embarrass a friend basically and like got nothing out of it embarrass a friend that you know exactly embarrass a friend um embarrass a friend and like she didn't get to give her own speech for like her video of the year win which is like a you know that's like considered to be i mean not that the vmas like carry too much weight but like that's considered to be the most like prestigious award of the night but like she had to spend it giving like letting taylor give her own speech speech. basically and so he does his little Beyonce had the best video of the year. And then he, and I was, what, something that surprised me was like how quick it was. Like he does it. And then he actually hands her back the microphone. He hands it yeah. back to Taylor. It's not like, and I had forgotten that part that like he put the, he takes her hand and he puts the mic back in it. Like, okay, sweetheart, finish your speech. Like, yeah. And there's a, and like, I don't think it had really occurred to me at the time that it happened because you know when you're like a teenager you don't really realize like how young celebrities are like all celebrities feel like old if that makes sense so like i didn't realize that she was only 19 when that happened and see i think that's and i will say like that's always i think people always say use that that 19 she was almost 20 right because she's doing that weird thing with John Mayer at this point. She's, like, on the cusp of 20. No, that's she, true. It's, like, September, and she's going to turn 20 in, like, uh, sorry, December, I think it is. Yeah, she's on the cusp of 20. She's dating John Mayer. She's, um, because this is something that also kind of bugs at me, is, like, the need that people feel to infantilize her. It's like, oh, she's just 19. 19, I was, like, 
1920, I was what, like a sophomore in college, like vomiting, you know, like <laughs> hooking up with no, dudes. It's and true. Then, like, like when you put it like that, I, I don't disagree with you. And I think also like, uh, even though the, in like mainstream spaces, like these kinds of, um, like this way of framing that event, like didn't show up until more recently, but like there was definitely like a big racial element in terms of like the optics of that whole thing, in terms of how different people responded to it. And, um, and, and yeah, and I'm glad that you bring that up. Cause that's, you know, with all my babbling, that's what I'm getting to is mm-hmm. that this is, and this is the analysis. It's always lacking. This is the thing that when I'm talking to fellow black women that we, that we noticed right away in the aftermath of that incident immediately, she is, she is the victim, like, I guess, in a, no, she, right. She is the, she's the victim. That's fine. But the incident is, but because of who Kanye is, because he is a black man, because she is a white woman, she, you know, it, she lets a for the for the benefit she lets a very ugly very nasty racial current occur something that the media because i remember this i remember when it happens i remember the immediate aftermath is like you know everybody is in her corner i mean you have the president of the united states President Barack Obama at the time being like, oh, what a jackass. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck <laughs> Kanye. Which is dumb, right? Like, which is really dumb. Like, you, you're having <laughs> a late night talk show host talking to the president, asking him what he thought. The whole thing was, this, like, really dumb in hindsight. It's um, really dumb. And she lets, she, she lets a, she lets a, a storm of, like, she tapped in order to market the incident because she has used the incident over years, I think, to propel herself to places. But she lets a really nasty, ugly racial optic generate and develop and roll down a hill that is dangerous. It is an optic and it is a narrative that has murdered people, gotten like, and, and it, it's murdered people. People have died. There are towns that do not exist anymore because of a tailor, because of something like this. There are people who are not alive. There are families, sisters, wives, brothers, fathers that are dead. And the fact that she could have cooled it with like, he was drunk, whatever, and she never did, being as smart as she was, has never sat with me. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is the way that, like, they kind of befriended each other at some point during, like, the early 2010s. And then that made the issue less, like, I mean, I was going to say less black and white, like, to be very on the nose. But I think it complicated things when there was sort of, like, an olive branch. And then they sort of continued to both hold that olive branch until 2016. And then it just, like, snapped. Um I think, like, what you're talking about is also, like, very, very much, like, a founded concern that I don't think would have occurred to her in any way, shape, or form until, like, recently, if at all. Um, Like, one thing, you know, for all the, like, political awakening she has in this film, 
she gets into feminism, she gets into homophobia. Race does not come up at all. Which um, is like when she's like when she gets in when we get to like the Marsha Blackburn chapter, for example. Right. Um her the offense she takes to Marsha Blackburn is that she's like I'm trying to think of like the real quotes, but she's like she's Trump in a wig. She didn't want to reauthorize like the Violence Against Women Act, like all bad things, genuinely, but like um we get into the like she sort of took the Equality Act up as something that was like of interest to her. But we it just feels like there are these existing gaps, I suppose, and like the way that she's reading issues. Um I don't know, like when you look at like who her she says like I'm I'm still learning how to respect people and like the film really very much does, I think, convincingly argue that like it's okay for someone to always be like learning and growing. Mm-hmm. It's always been really interesting to me. Well, the first thing I'll say is like it's funny when you look at like the people she's supposedly like learning and growing from, and it's like the queer eye team and like Todrick Hall. <laughs> um <laughs> But also, like one of the one of the reasons that I thought of life is but a dream, watching this film is like they come out seven years apart, and the like central political awakening at the heart of Taylor's is not any more like developed than Beyonce's had been um, back in 2013, and I think I, that sort of was was fascinating to watch because what I was expecting was like, you know, critical writing coming out being like, why is why is Taylor Swift's like circa 2019, 2018 political awakening, like, why does it sound like it's from like lean in, right? Mm-hmm. If like she's supposedly been like thinking through her politics throughout the Trump era, like a lot of people have, why have we ended up here? Because I actually think that like her real life statements like outside of the film statements and comments suggest that she is thinking about some of the things that we're talking about but the film like sets her up um to seem like she's not thinking about them at all but then in the end like that the critical writing that i'm talking about like never came (laughs) like no one was like hey this is like this sounds like she's in 2013 when she says things like i want to still care about glitter and also like care about politics like it sounds like a like a Sheryl Sandberg Barbie (laughs) it does and I think um and you're right because I had that thought too I was like this is very very basic Taylor and I would say like I do think and I think that the critical writing doesn't come for the same reason that the Kanye incident at least in 2009 was allowed to spiral the way it does because I do and The way that, you know, we always say, she was 19, you guys. Like, there is, um, because of just, I think, her place uh, in regards to being white, being thin, being blonde, being blue-eyed, there is a desire to infantilize her. And it's hard because she uses it when it's to her benefit. And she, I think like a lot of white women, she bucks against it. She's like, I'm not, you know, when it's not right. But it's like, you can't have it both ways. You're either a grown up or you're not Taylor. <laughs> you got to make some choices. Um, yeah. And- I was like one, one thing that I will say is like, 
I think like the conversation we're having now, I wouldn't want it to sound like we're like downplaying any of the like genuine things she's been through because like, I don't, I don't want to do that in terms of just when you said, you know, she's thin, that's like completely true. And I, I don't want it to sound like we're like laughing at all at the like eating disorder yeah, like objectively speaking and like the trial part. And like those are the more, I think those are the film's like strong suits. Like when she actually gets into the like introspection about like some of those experiences and like what she learned going through them. What, um, you know, one of the, one of the like, something I, I talk about a lot with people um, is the fact that like Taylor Swift is like one of the, most powerful people in music not even like most powerful women in music but like literally like one of the most powerful people in music she has experienced certain setbacks like the ownership of her master's thing like those are genuine setbacks and as i said like she's been through some real shit um not all of which has been deserved at all but like you would think you know Again, I'm I'm only using this as a comparison because we've already been talking about it, but like Beyonce is mm-hmm. one of the most powerful people in music and like she's the first person to tell you that. And she, you know, there are quotes like I am still wrapping my mind around how like powerful I am and like the music itself is about being powerful and like um that kind of thing, but Taylor is not in any like real sense hated the way that she you would think she was from the way she like sings and the way she um markets certain things and like she kind of I mean Lana Del Rey is is, has done something similar in recent years where like as soon as she started being like a critical darling she like started acting out to make sure that she was like back where it was more comfortable for her when she was playing more of like an underdog role um and like I I I realize that some of this might just be like lingering self-esteem issues on Taylor's part it's like totally fine it makes sense but one one through line I, I find especially with like online discourse around her is like you would think from the way from some of the things that like her fans will say to you when defending her or like some I mean like just a couple of weeks ago I was like misunderstood saying something about Taylor that was actually like a compliment and it got spun and it like spiraled really fast. And I, I had like people sending me death threats in my mentions. But anyway, it's not important. But like one of the interesting through lines is like they think they're defending someone who's like fighting for their fucking life. Right. <laughs> when and that's I, not true at all. <laughs> that's right? not true. And I and to put in perspective, because I know um, like you said, how we wanted to stop. I guess I look at Taylor in comparison to her peers. Like so when I. I'm critical about Taylor and I think her, the moves that she's making, it's because I'm thinking about her in, in comparison to, to, to her peers, which is like, so I'm thinking about in their respective journeys and in media and how they market themselves and and what they're up against. Um, You know, she talks about in the doc, there is like a series of cuts of like people in the media being like, Oh, perpetual victim Taylor. And I think that is something that she's been upset about that gets attached to her, but it's in, that's been attached to her. But, um, that's, I, but once again, I, I'm always itched at it because it's like, but this is how you're marketing yourself. 
as the perpetual victim. Like it's in the music, it's in how you market. So what are you, what are, what are you upset about? Because if you want the heat, just take it. And I say that in when I, and I say this because I think about, like I said, her peers, I think about Rihanna, I think about Beyonce. I mean, yeah. And like the fact that like, these are even the people we're listing as her peers and she's like 32 years old. Like that's a compliment. Like it just goes to show how powerful of a, a person she has become and how well she's done in her career. Like, I think that that's like the weird um, contradiction. And again, like I'm a, I I'm a fan. Like I listen to all of it. I do, you know, like there's stuff though, like where it doesn't seem like she's thought through the optics of a given move. And like one of them is like the first thing she did. Um, well, so she spent 2020 like putting, doing things, like, including releasing this film, like doing things that suggested that she was like genuinely interested in like growing and learning and like owning sort of like coming into her power and owning that. And then folklore was this massive power move at like demonstration of like, look what I can do now, like that I have reached this particular moment. And then she just like doubled down on that with Evermore. And it was like a very cool thing to witness. Like, look at how powerful this, this person is in music. And then it was like 2020, the like the ball dropped in Times Square. And then 2021, it was like the weird Ginny and Georgia tweet where she just like ended up sicking millions of people on this black actress who hadn't even written the line in question, but delivered it. Um, like the optics of that were really bad. I don't know. I don't think it was necessarily her intention. It's just that once that started to become the story, there was no like follow up where she tried to stop it. And there were people getting like really seriously harassed for pointing out that the optics of that were bad. Um, There was another one like I don't I have no idea like what year it is lately and like any given moment. But, um, you know, like Anita Baker who I love recently had like a a comparable like issue getting ownership over her own masters and like, right. And had been, and yes. And I mean, yes, I, I, I love, right. I love, love, love Nita Baker had a similar, had a similar issue in that. um, I don't know it as detailed, but essentially I think her, her con, it was the way, like the way her contract was written, the time was up and they were supposed to revert back to her. And then the record label's like, "Mm, we changed our mind. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, you have to honor what this contract says. And that's the fight she was going to. As opposed to, I will say, like, I empathize with Taylor's play. It it all sounds very convoluted. Yeah. And so there was a tweet she did when, when that whole story worked out in Anita's favor, congratulating her on it publicly. And I was sort of thinking about it like, I mean, yes, I think everyone should be congratulating her on this. I hate to think, though, like, it it sort of bothers me thinking about how, like, this is the only reason you've, like, tweeted about Anita Baker, is that her master's struggle in some way comes back to your own. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, And, like, I I realize that I'm being kind of, like, ungenerous there, but I do think, like, it stuck out because it was really interesting to see that, like, a the overwhelming majority of the comments on that post were Taylor Swift fans, like not knowing who Anita Baker was because like 
you know, like it doesn't make like demographically, like it was a weird tweet, but that's how you know that it was not really about Anita Baker. It was about the fact that like she's um, engaged in her own legal problems. Right. Like, right. And then, which is unfortunate. And the fact that like, that makes that worse is that I guess I don't doubt that Taylor Swift knows who knows Anita Baker's music because I would assume just as an artist, she's curious yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, about other people and other sounds. And um, I think one thing that is true across artists is that, like, you, they always, they listen to a lot of different things. Also, it's Anita Baker. Those, like, her songs are, like, very, I think everybody knows those songs. I don't know. Anita Baker, to me, is one of those people who are, like, she's Black famous, but, like, in the same way that I couldn't, I know like a Beatles song because I watch <laughs> movies. I but I couldn't tell you that that's a Beatles song. I couldn't be like, oh yeah, that's that's the Beatles. I'm assuming Anita Baker for white people is also similar. They're like when they hear "Sweet Love," they know it because they exist as people in the world. But like they wouldn't be able to be like, oh yeah, that's Anita Baker. <laughs> yeah, like I can confirm that at least like a couple of her songs are white famous too. I don't really remember the like specifics of the Calvin Harris thing but I do you know by the time like the summer of 2016 rolls around it's already been a very weird press year for Taylor Swift and that's like not even including her like Met Gala dress where they were doing like salmon filet memes yeah like I think a lot of people were really looking for their moment to just (laughs) pounce I guess and that's why the Taylor Swift is over party happened. Which is, um, which brings me back to something that she talks about in the documentary that to me ultimately rings hollow. So she talks about in the documentary, it's like, you know, I think like you said in your essay, it's, she's like, well, you know, I wanted to be thought of as good. And, you know, I want people, you know, I'm living for the validation of strangers. Mm hmm. She she just kind of says that, and which I thought was like very interesting. But she she does say that I'm living for the validation of strangers, and that isn't. And then she talks about the state. Well, we get to sort of. She talks about the backlash, right? Which is the Taylor Swift is over party moment. Like you said, when we're hitting this point in apex, and for some reason she does not have this iron grip over, um, her the way she usually navigates media media has, has been lost. Mm -hmm. Um, mostly because I think she just, she, uh, I don't want to say she started to believe her own press. I just think she thought that there was no wrong she could do, which I think, you know, that's fair of everyone. We've all been there in some, not like in on, obviously on her scale of a global scale, but we've all, I think had a moment in life where we're like, Oh, whatever. Like I can do anything. And then, quickly we realize that that's not quite true um there's definitely also like um i, I know that in, in the film she uses she uses the word like the words belief system like she, that's what she's spent the last few years on learning is like the the idea that like she her her lifeblood is other people's praise and like that's you know that's like a very that's a valid thing to have to unlearn when you equate like any kind of blowback as 
oh, this is just like, this is blowback. And like, I don't thrive off of validation anymore. Sometimes you miss the like genuine thoughtful criticisms, right? And like, no one's saying you have to like read every bit of trolling you get online, but there's a difference between that and thoughtful, considered feedback. Not everything is just like sexism, right? And like her fans say that now and like they've gotten that from somewhere that like every bit of Taylor criticism must be sexism inherently because that's what Taylor has has that's how she spun it and that's like what the film spins the last like decade of criticism as is like this must be I'm a woman and I'm like subject to more scrutiny than a man right like that's as far as her I mean at least as it's presented in the film that's as far as she's gotten in terms of like thinking about her 20s. Truly, and and you're right, and you've hit the nail on the head, which is why that framing was, which is why ultimately there are parts that I'm really sort of laughing through because I was like, you're you're missing the, the plot, Taylor. But um, I, I brought up, oh, this, this validation of other Stranger Things, I had brought it up because I found it really interesting and I wanted to know if you sort of noticed it as well, is like so she's like I'm I'm over she's like I'm done with that like I you don't know me I don't know you I'm going to you know not be not lock myself away in the world but definitely start to put up more serious boundaries and maybe think a bit more critically about you know the validations of other people and yet when we have this like <laughs> um when she is like sitting there uh, crying in front of her father about needing to tweet that like Trump is bad. We're going to get to Taylor's father, by the way, because I learned a lot of things in this documentary about Taylor's dad that I did not know before that I found very fascinating. Um, <laughs> when she's like, I've got a tweet that like, you know, this Marsha Black, like don't vote for Marsha Blackburn section. She does it right. Uh, and then yet she, and I found it very fascinating that like after she does it, she doesn't, and she, you know, makes the Instagram post instead of just, instead of the film, maybe just like cutting to her, putting down the phone and being like, yeah, that's, I feel good about that. Like, and now we're going to move on because this is my, this is me. Like this, these are the things I think, these are the things I care about beyond other people's opinion instead there is like immediate cuts once again to all the reporters giving her that praise and then cuts back to her taking in and you know sort of feeding off of all of it and I was like way to undercut something you kind of set up in the beginning no it's it's a really good point like um there's this whole so she's left like her past belief system behind like there's a whole mission statement that's like set up and then I'm not sure how much she has adhered to it since then like um and you know that's like a filmmaking choice to some extent I'm I'm not gonna like place that I guess squarely on Taylor's shoulders but it's a really good observation that like there's this whole final chapter of the film after she's put the statement out that's like we kind of weird and like especially to see it in 2020 when we're looking at like the events of late 2018 um where she's like making like a she's recording like a protest song and 
she says things like, you know, we can run from fascism. Like, and it's just, I don't know. There's something about it that's very much like, I don't know. You did one, you did one Instagram post and problem solved. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like there's no more. And that's, I think that's my problem. Like, I don't, I want her, like, I want Taylor Swift to be like, to keep making really good music. Like I want her to keep like being around and making good music. And like, same, I want her to work on some of these other things so that I have to, I get to stop hearing about them so I can enjoy the music. I think it's so much better to like not baby your favorite artists and just like take them for all their complexities and talk about both things and like not spin everything that's actually thoughtful as like un, un uh, like random hate that's not founded in anything like and listen i i think that sucks because like you i'm i'm the same i love i love watching her live for her little stunts uh this re-release with the with the short film casting dylan o'brien as jake Gyllenhaal. oh oh, bitch (laughs) like she's really good at this like this is what she's really good at and like i just i don't want people to pretend otherwise like she can be both an excellent stunt queen and like a, a phenomenal songwriter. I just don't know why we need to pretend that they're like mutually exclusive things, right? Interestingly enough, by not letting her be both a stunt queen and this really great songwriter, you inadvertently, like as a fan, if it's sexist, right? Like she's both. We let men be both. Like I think Kanye's been both for decades, right? A stunt yeah. queen and a and a dramatic baby, but making some of the most compelling producing and writing and and making some of the most compelling works of two decades now. So the the writing is so much more interesting. Like writing about these artists, I mean, is so much more interesting to write and to read when like they're not an angel and like you don't have to only write about them if you like think they're an angel through and through. Like I don't it's so boring, right? Like it's so boring to also like complex public figures are like how we work out like everything as a culture they're like we use them to talk about everything else and like it's way easier and more productive and and it's not always a bad thing to to examine and be examined i often say that drake is hip-hop taylor swift (laughs) emotionally it definitely checks out too listen i just their careers are so their trajectories are just so similar i'm like yeah they are this (laughs) and when you look at their music i'm like they are literally the same person um (laughs) But there, in terms of like um, her and Drake, something that uh, a criticism that Drake is sort of receiving right now is that like his music feels like delayed, and that like he feels his music currently feels like he thinks he's like twenty six when he's grown. And I, I, in Katy Perry's is kind of the same way, and I anticipate that Taylor's is too, to be honest. Taylor is just sort of, del- I, I think Taylor, it's, I think we're just not seeing it because of this whole, I'm re-recording all my, my records thing. I'm for- really interested, like, I, I, I respect this chapter of her doing that, but I'm really, really just, like, eager to see what she does afterwards, because I think there's, like, the world, if she didn't think the world was her oyster before, I think she should be pretty, like, confident that it is now. I think you, yeah, I think I don't disagree with what you said. I think you like notice it less in Taylor's case because she switches up the um, the gimmick part, I suppose, like the surprise, the surprise drop, 
model plus the fact that there were like some explicit tracks for the first time on her album are like a sort of a distraction I guess to some extent that like the music itself is not terribly different from anything she had released previously I mean the only difference people were identifying or looking at was the fact that she was like singing as other people but again like with songs like um like the last great American dynasty like you think that's a song about someone else and then it turns out to be like she's the character that bought this character's house and lives there and then she's you realize that she's made a sort of like she's drawn a link between that that woman and herself and like she's also the like woman causing havoc in her Rhode Island town and like it's 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 not about Taylor but at the end of the day it's like very much about Taylor. Something I'm very interested in and I sort of think about in my writing a lot and that I'm always talking about with with friends is this the, the idea of the punishing patriarch. Mm-hmm. Um, the patriarch, uh, obviously the famous ones being Joe Jackson, mm-hmm. Richard Williams, um, Matthew Knowles, <laughs> <laughs> and how these men who these men who have, you know, driven their daughters by hook, by crook, by very punishing, punishing standards to, you know, superstardom. Now, Taylor always seemed like an outlier in that sort of great narrative. Taylor always seemed like an outlier and an outlier in that fact to me until I watched her documentary, this doc, and realized, because that her father is very involved in her career in a very significant way that I I did not realize. I knew that he bought, he invested the money to make uh, Big Machine Records a thing. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they had, they had flown her out to New York when she was a kid all the time for acting and singing and dancing lessons. But I did not know that he, but when I watched the documentary, it was the first time I realized that he is still very intricately involved in her career in a way that is significant still. So it's funny. I'm glad you like came back to this because I, you know, when I was doing my initial list of like interesting parallels between like her rise to fame and Beyonce's and like, I promise that I'm not just like lazily, continuing to come back to Beyonce like I actually find it really useful and like I did write a piece that was sort of exactly about this so that's part of what's happening but like something that they have in common is that their families like their whole immediate families sort of switched gears when they were teenagers to like help them be stars Taylor Swift is born if I I think I have this story like correctly because I have like a good memory but she's born in Pennsylvania on a Christmas tree farm or like that's where she grew up and that's why there's like music about Christmas tree farms and I didn't even know like that that was a thing until I like started reading about Taylor Swift but it's like a literal place where Christmas trees get farmed so when she around like roughly the same age starts showing promise her family like leaves Pennsylvania and moves to Nashville because that's where you go when you're like an aspiring country music artist is Nashville in the U.S. and like it's the same deal where like the family, this was always the plan that Taylor was going to take off, hopefully somehow as like a country artist. And it's funny because like the country music is is the second plan because before Taylor was going to be a Broadway star. There's an interview in Town and Country, uh, circa like 
2011, and she's talking about it's she's doing press for Valentine's Day, and she's talking about how she was like, oh, I I wanted to be on Broadway first, <laughs> and she talks about how her father would fly her out to Broadway to when she's about nine ten, and she's singing lessons, dancing lessons, and in sh- auditions, like they are making the rounds in New York City. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there's these early attempts that in the end become like, they're just sort of like funny anecdotes, I suppose. But like, that's also, that's also interesting to me because like, obviously there's like a performance seed that's been there for for a long time, but so has there been like a sort of theatricality element, which I think is like interesting in hindsight in terms of what we've been talking about. It's this weird through line in like every pop star's story that they have a dad that's like either like a mess or a mess or (laughs) a mess. (laughs) They're all all like this for some reason. Like it's one of the weird commonalities. Like it's not always like explicitly stated anywhere, but it's a big part of like a lot of performers stories for whatever reason. I'm sure, like, if you're a Beyonce fan, you've seen the clip of Beyonce being like, like, you know, the shot where she's like, I'm Beyonce, I'm the president, at her sort of team meeting. And in um, Miss Americana, there is, she doesn't go Taylor, I'm Taylor, I'm the president, but there is like a sort of, I'm Taylor, I'm the president type of meeting. There's an equivalent conference table scene where like, we see as viewers that she's like in charge and she's like the boss and that kind of thing, you know? But was, but what's fascinating about that shot, that scene, it's very quick is like I said, her dad is there. Like he's still like, he is part of her management team and he is very present in her career and in these decisions in a way that I did not realize in a way that he, in a way that unlike, I think Mad- Matthew, unlike Joe, has worked to stay very hidden, which is really, in- which is fascinating to me because I feel uh, like yeah. Matthew is always like, even to this day, Matthew will give an interview to anybody talking about how great <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's, a, it's like a joke in the fandom, right? Um, um, but he's always like releasing unreleased things. He's like putting out EPs and she probably is not like, you know, thrilled about that in that exact same shot you're talking about where she's like I think they're going to be like 16 to 20 songs on my album and like she makes that little like sarcastic comment that her mom is the only one that applauds um there's like a poster leaning against the wall for her reputation tour film which had come out on uh, in late 2018 on Netflix and that was like exactly when she approached the streamer being like I want to make a film and they gave her a list of directors to choose from. And then she chose Lana Wilson, who's and this was like her third feature film. The other two having been about like capital P political things like abortion access. And um, I think the second one was on like suicide in Japan. So it's, it's really interesting to me that she chose Lana Wilson with those two directorial credits having been her only previous work but also that like there's evidence in the film that this is part of like a partnership that was already in place between her and this streamer 
that she's very calculated, very calculated, very smart, very shrewd businesswoman, very shrewd marketer, very in control of her brand. Very, and, very smart. But all in all, the documentary is, it's, <laughs> it's a, it, to me, it's a complete combination of all the things that I love and am also simultaneously extremely frustrated with her <laughs> over. <laughs> it's a very, like, rich film in that way like it's I think it's like a very great piece of filmmaking in terms of like accomplishing what it sets out to do I think it'll be like in 10 years I think people will be coming back to it being like oh she told us that like this is what she was gonna spend the next 10 years doing I'm not entirely sure what those things are yet but I have a feeling that she's like you know again if she's calculating like she's she's probably got a long-term plan for herself and like there's a good chance that we will see that it was in place longer than we knew later, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I will say that, uh, Beyonce and Taylor are very two different personalities. Um, yeah, totally different. (laughs) But, uh, in terms of what they say, they say and what, and then what actually ends up happening. But I do think, but I do think, Whatever hap- ends up happening, you're right in that the intention of it is to be like, so this is what the next thing is for me. Like you said, that's very much what it is. It does set out what it accomplishes to do and that it closes a chapter. Exactly. And and listen, there are some big things that are skipped over. Something that we didn't mention that like was, I think they kind of like, kind of, t- it, it was one of those, it was the, that was one of the things in Miss Americana that was touched on in a similar way to what we spoke about earlier in the the audio playing under something. So like addressed, but not really addressed at all was this, you know, the neo-Nazi thing. Um, which like, I don't even know like how to get into that on like a, because it's, it's one of those things where, but I guess like the argument is that at the very least, if she witnessed that happening, that she, could have been like, this is ridiculous. Please stop. I mean, yeah, yeah. I the neo-Nazi thing was a huge misstep. Like, I was like, Taylor, how hard is it to say that neo-Nazis are bad? And I don't think you can make the argument that she doesn't know because this is a woman who this is a businesswoman that is so aware of what her fans are doing in every sector that she would know and who like, I mean made her own career by living on the internet right because mm-hmm. she is like a millennial she's a younger millennial and she grew up on the internet with the rest of us mm-hmm. and so she knows she knows and if she is she knows in that way and then she also knows in the way that like if she has lawyers who are so litigious that they're like harassing her fans telling them to stop like making homemade merch for like themselves and like other friends she knows. She knows. You can't make the case. I don't think you can convincingly make the case that she does not know. So the fact that, like, she cannot just say neo-Nazis are bad <laughs> was the goofiest shit to ever be, honestly. And the fact that the documentary is just like, we don't talk about that or, like, is like, no. Yeah, <laughs> I guess... No, it's honestly like part of it might just be as basic as like to entertain it might me to might be to like make it more of a thing than like 
it would be to not entertain it, if that makes sense. Like, like I guess what I'm saying is, like, this is this rumor is so dumb that I won't even, like, acknowledge it because, like, I'm, that's, like, disrespectful to me or that kind of thing. Like, I, I, I hope that that's what the logic was um, and not just, like, a, okay, pretend this never happened. Like, let's just skip this and hope no one notices. And, um, like, you know what? And I, and I buy that. Until she starts on this whole thing of like feminism, gay rights, neo Nazis, you got to talk about it, Taylor. Yeah, like, like I don't know. Because I, I, I get what you're saying and I agree. I, I, I agree. I'd be like, if it was me, I'd be like, that is so dumb that I'm not even acknowledging that. But like, if also, but then if I switch my marketing strategy to finally, because funny enough, she, if I switch my marketing strategy to finally open my mouth about politics, I got to talk about the ne- about how the fact that the neo-Nazis love me and how I do not love them back. I have to say something. Yeah, and, I mean, like, I, as, as I say, her publicist is, like, not as good as her job as people <laughs> like to think she is. Oh, man. And so that's something that the—it it does sideswipe it. But it's, you know, it's it's fine. But it was—it's great. And it's— it, it, it goes in the long line of, you know, life is but a dream, truth or dare. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think makes Taylor Swift good, bad, basic, and enchanting. If you'd like to check out this documentary, Miss Americana is currently streaming on Netflix. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. And if you're a patron on our Patreon, check out our special outtakes from this episode. Sydney, tell the listeners like where they can find you and, and plug some projects and some stuff you're working on. So everything pretty much will go to my Twitter. <laughs> so that's like a really good one-stop shop for like me. There's a link in that bio to my newsletter, which is where I do, I guess, a great deal of my writing. Um, so if you're interested in any of like the names that have come up during this chat, they're very frequent names on there. Otherwise, um, yeah, like I have a, a chapter coming out in a book early next year, but again, I'm going to be like plugging it through probably Twitter. So that's, if you give me a follow on there, you're probably not going to miss anything that's important. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your handle on Twitter? My handle is Sid Urbanak, S-Y-D-U-R-B-A-N-E-K. So, <laughs> But thank you for joining us for today's episode. It's been a pleasure. Uh, the Good, the Bad, the Basic is currently streaming on all major platforms, so be sure to tune in to episodes on the go. Leave a review on your preferred platform and share our episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, the Bad, the Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our episodes debut. If you like this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you these regular weekly episodes. Well, not so much weekly anymore, but uh, our regular episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time. Bye, everyone.